0: Hello, and welcome to Hop On Board, brought to you by Southeastern Railway. In each episode, you'll be taken on a whistle-stop tour of some of the best places to explore on the Southeastern network, guiding you through everything these stunning regions have to offer, from delicious food and drink and beautiful countryside walks to vibrant art scenes and fascinating history. That's where I hop on board. me, Mary Beard, as we discover some great history in Tunbridge Wells, Hastings and Battle. But my first stop isn't just somewhere special, it's downright royal. I've come to explore Kent and East Sussex, which is a wonderful area if you're at all interested in history, right back to the Romans and it makes a fabulous day out. Some of the history is really in your face. There's museums, castles and ruins. And part of the history is the railway and the trains make it easy to get to see the sights of this part of the world. Dover Castle and Chatham Dockyard are both in walking distance of their local stations. And it's by train, as you can probably hear, that I've landed in Tunbridge Wells. Why is it called Wells? Simple answer is that the town started in 1606 when a man passing through the area noticed some springs which produced some rather murky looking water which turned out to have miraculous healing properties. The word got out and people began to come here to take the waters. Tunbridge Wells became Southeast England's only spa town. Here I am, just 10 minutes' walk from the station, and it's like going back in time, more than 300 years, to this wonderful Georgian colonnade, where, actually, I'm sheltering from the rain. And it's got shops and bars and restaurants, you name it. But before I sit down for a coffee, I'm going to try to get to know the place a bit. And to help me, I'm meeting Alison Finlay, a registered
1: blue badge guide. Hello, Mary. Welcome to Hamburg's Great. I hope
0: you're going to show me some of this stuff because this is truly amazing. You do feel that you're in
1: the 18th century when you come here. Well, we're we're actually spanning four centuries of architecture, but we're standing by the Calibiate Spring, which is why the whole place started.
0: Calibiate, we'll
1: have to... down to you. We'll
0: have (laughs) to, because it's an almost unpronounceable word. And it comes from the Latin for steel, calyps steel and it's because that water looked as if it got iron and stuff in it.
1: Yes, it's in a, fact, I was told it was Greek for Iron There, It's, it's but also I, Greek, it's <laughs> the same word. <laughs> and the water is completely rust coloured when it separates. It's crystal clear. The first sip of Tunbridge oil's water is like your first sip of Draft Guinness. You pucker your lips a little bit. The Second sip, it's sweet and has an iron taste. I'm not sure I
0: believe you, Alison. It's delicious.
1: <laughs> can people still taste it ever? Yes, they? they can. Tunbridge World's development can be divided into three phases. The first one, Stuart Decadence, sex, drugs, and Charles II. The second one, when the royal patronage had left, but it was the 18th century, think of Georgette Hare, I think it was the summer rival to Bath. So every single window along the pantiles would have been taken over by a smart London company in the 18th uh, century. But it still went pretty small, isn't it? It's very small. The town only really started to grow after the restoration, but it's all confined into this very small village area, as the state agents like to call it now. Right. And it... It got big again in the Victorian period, didn't it? That was it when got, it that's when the top end of the town, when Decimus Burton came uh, in the eighteen twenties, basically the third phase of the town was when it was starting to slip a little into decline, when The British people no longer wanted to come to spas. They wanted to go to the seaside.
0: Decimus Burton is really key around here, isn't he? Because he's a a very famous London architect who worked at Kew Gardens, in Regent's Park, in Wellington Arch. But he also is responsible for... a. For changing the face of Tunbridge
1: Wells. He's a local lad. He grew up in between Tunbridge and and Tunbridge Wells. His dad was already in the business. So he started to develop the Calvary Estate under John Ward.
0: Just before we go and and have a bit of a wander around the corner, just tell me why... Tunbridge Wells is still technically called Royal Tunbridge Wells. Where does that title come from? Well, the
1: royal from? came rather late, actually, because the royal patronage ended with the death of Queen Anne, with the last Stuart. And the, the Hanoverian kings and subsequent ones all went back to Germany to take their cures. But Queen Victoria came to Tunbridge Wells a lot as a young girl. And when she became queen, the town got massively excited. When she made Lemington Spa Royal in the 1880s for her jubilee, they were incandescent, because we the town council here. So for years and years, the newly formed council barraged the palace with letters. And then in 1909, her son... <laughs> Edward, I always like to imagine with his arm round a mistress. Eventually signed it off, and it became Royal Tunbridge Wells. Finally gave in.
0: Let's let's have a little wonder, can we? The word pantiles. I um, mean, now, am I right in thinking that's because at one period of the colonnade's history, it was it was paved with ceramic tiles, is exactly. that Exactly, right?
1: a pan tile is literally a handful of the local clay put in a pan and baked, so the name is literally on the tin. And it was pan tiled at the end of the 17th century at the bequest of Queen Anne so that the mud was removed and, and it, it all looked rather smart. So that the posh people didn't have to get their exactly, dirty. Exactly, exactly. And in the 18th century, it was all changed to Purbeck and Yorkstone to look more like Bath. Alison,
0: that was so helpful. I mean, it's you know, just spotting some of the things that you'd otherwise miss. And a huge thanks to Alison for the wonderful tour around the Pantiles and sharing some of those fascinating facts about Royal Tunbridge Wells only an hour away from London on a southeastern train, it's so worth the trip. So I'm now going to swap the countryside for the coast and on to Hastings by train. I'm now on the way to Hastings on the train and there's history just outside the window. The train's going through the High Weald area of outstanding natural beauty. Weald just means woodland. It's a medieval landscape of rolling hills and ancient routeways. If you're catching the train there's some lovely places to stop off and explore. Picturesque towns and villages like Frant, Wadhurst and Stonegate. High Weald is a really special and unique area. It's so close to the coast And it's rich in natural resources. In the past, those resources drew people to it. Stone Age hunters came here to shelter in the sand rock. Anglo-Saxon pig keepers kept their pigs in the woodlands. And the Romans mined it for iron. It's hard to imagine now. 2000 years ago this was actually the industrial heartland of Roman Britain and it now looks so peaceful. Uh, and it's just a nice reminder of how landscapes really do change over history. These days though the area is easily accessible by southeastern trains from London and from the coast and it all makes for some great walking trips. Check out Ed Burns' episode if you'd like to learn more about walking and exploring in Kent. For now, though, I need to keep an eye out for my next stop. Uh, I've got to Hastings Station now. Hastings is a town that gave its name to one of the most famous battles in the history of Europe, the Battle of Hastings in 1066, when William the Conqueror beat the English... The joke is that the battle didn't actually happen here, but we'll be coming back to that later. I'm about to do a 20-minute walk through the town towards Stade Beach. The name Stade is an old term for landing place, though William didn't even land here. He landed almost 12 miles away in Pevensey. There's a wonderful railway here that goes up and down the cliff known as the East Hill Lift and it towers over the beach. It's one of the UK's steepest railways and it's been here since 1902. Hastings is a center of maritime heritage and the town is very keen on that. They even have an annual pirate day. But as well as pirates, State Beach is all about fishing, and fishermen. And it makes you realise just how interesting the story of those people can be. And that's what I'm going to explore now. What I really love about Kent East Sussex is that you don't have to go to a museum or on a tour to learn about history, although they're great too. Just going a short walk can really tell you so much about the story of the area. I mean, right now, I'm looking out over Stave Beach and I can see loads of small fishing boats ready to launch from the shingles. This is living history at its best. This isn't a sunbathing beach, this is a working beach. And it's been that for more than a thousand years. The point is that these are boats which are launched into the sea from the shingles and then they're brought back from the sea onto the shingles. So they have to be pretty small and they can't go very far, but they're still catching fish. There's really loads of maritime history along this coast. I mentioned Chatham Dockyards earlier, and that's a great place to learn more. But there's lots to discover here in Hastings too. We're about to meet Steve Peake, who, as well as being a fantastic local guide, has loads of information for us. Steve, it's great. We're sitting in the Fisherman's Museum here, yeah. um, and you're the... Honorary curator of yep. it. Yep. Uh, how long have you been doing that?
2: Oh, 25 years or a little bit longer. Right, it's so a you, long time. So yeah. you know all
0: about it. Yes,
2: <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's in, and I'm just puzzled by this. The museum is in something called Rockenor Road. Well, it's a weird name.
2: Yes. What, what does it mean? It's a partly derived from French. R, ah, rock, R, ah, to rock to the north. And uh, it's to the north of the original old town of Hastings, which was uh, further to sea and got washed away with Winchelsea. Oh, right. In 1287.
0: Ah, uh, right. So, <laughs> so so if we go back we go back, going back
2: the, hundreds going, of years. Going so back to the 13th century. Right. Rock to the Norwood.
0: This is an amazing place. And we're sitting mm. right in front of a boat, which I want to come yeah. back to in a minute, because um, there must be a story to it. But it looks to me like a church. Now,
2: was it a church originally? It was, although it's properly called a mission hall because it was never formally consecrated. But it was set up in the 1850s because the fishermen uh, would not go to the nearest church, which is only a quarter of a mile away, (laughs) up the road. (laughs) So the church people decided they had to build a church on the beach. This has been here since 1854.
0: It says Enterprise on it. What's the story of the boat?
2: It's a, a lugger what was, used to be called a lugger, a sailing boat lug rigged rather than gaff rigged. You um,
0: have to explain that to me. I don't know the difference <laughs> between lug a rigged and gaff. Different, rigged.
2: different type of rigging, um, a simpler type of rigging than, than gaff. Lug, it was powerful, but you couldn't do things like sail up winding rivers, but it was just used for fishing off the beach. And a lug rig, you could tow a trawl much better. You had the power in you to do it. Can we go inside it? Oh, yes. Well, you can't quite go inside, but you can go on deck. Oh, right. Yes. Come on. Any, yeah. Anyone can go on deck. Right. Come round. You lead the way.
0: <laughs> this is tremendous because we're on deck of the boat. And I mean, I begin to see kind of something about the how the sails must have worked. I think it's actually quite scary because you'd have gone out on this boat. It seems, you know, small you know, possibly a bit frail, and you'd have gone on to the sea. Today, the sea is as rough as anything.
2: Well, it was mobilised to go to Dunkirk in 1940, but it got as far as Dover, and then they decided it was too frail and open to risk it. I
0: mean, I think it just drums home what it costs to get our fish, frankly. I mean, this is, you know, going out on that sea in this, um, scary. days
2: of sail you had to have a strong wind because you didn't have an engine. So when, if you go off in a strong wind, obviously it's even more dangerous than today. You know, so it was quite, quite something. You had to be tough.
0: No, it's, it's wonderful. I'd like to say thank you very much. But it's been great to see you around, but I'm, I'm going to go off and get some fish and chips.
2: <laughs> well, I'd like to come with you too. Yeah, come on.
0: <laughs> that was really fascinating, and I honestly didn't know almost anything about that before. But now I'm going to go onto a site I do know a bit about and it's only 10 minutes by train away. And that's what's wonderful about this area. Uh, You can get from one historical site to another in almost no time. And this site is the actual site of the Battle of Hastings. And amazingly, it's called Battle. I can't arrive at Battle without talking about the Southeastern Station. It's included in one of those lists of Britain's 100 best railway stations and it's easy to see why. Because it's a Victorian station. But it's built in the style of a 13th century house. And the waiting room is made to look like a great hall uh, complete with fireplace. It's, It's one of those extraordinary examples of railway stations that embrace a romantic fantasy about time travel as well as just travel. And it's a lovely way to set the mood for our next historical stop off, which is Battle Abbey the most famous battlefield in England, where English history was changed forever. Battle grew up around the Abbey, Battle Abbey, which William the Conqueror had vowed to build if he defeated the English under King Harold. There's all sorts of things to do at the Abbey itself, particularly if you're bringing the kids on the train for a day out. There's battlefield trails, weapons and chainmail that you can hold. And if you go up on the roof of the gatehouse, there are brilliant views of the town from the ruins. I'm meeting Roy Porter, Senior Properties Curator with English Heritage, who's going to tell me more. Hi, you must be Roy. Hello, Roy. Welcome to Battle Abbey. It's great to be here. And that is the very stone, I think.
3: That is the very stone. That's what we (laughs) call the Harold stone. So that marks the site of the high altar of Battle Abbey Church. And that's where, according to tradition, the body of Harold was found after the Battle of Hastings.
0: I'm gonna go and stand on it. Absolutely you should (laughs) do. yes stand on the very spot. (laughs) And I believe it's been moved, hasn't it, recently? People used to think it was six metres away. (laughs) We moved
3: it, we we moved it in 2016 we moved it just six metres or so simply because our understanding of the layout of Abbey Churches is a little bit better than when they put the stone down originally. And we think the high altar was on the corner of the abs. Right,
0: so I'm okay. in the very spot. Yes. You know, it feels a bit awfully triumphalist I mean, this was somewhere, some poor guy, you know. Yeah, many,
3: many guys. Many it, it's, guys at their end. I mean. You have to just have to imagine all the trees are gone, the landscape is open, the hill is descending to the southeast and south in front of us. This is where the last stand of the English took place. William's army is approaching up the hill in front of us. You know, William founded the Abbey both to commemorate his victory but also to atone for the bloodshed in the battle.
0: So he should. Um, <laughs> but absolutely really not a thing of the, of the Abbey Church itself survives. That all went with Henry VIII.
3: Almost all of it. So there's a little bit of the crypt just behind you, and on the, uh, the other end of the church... We've got a little bit of the West Wall surviving, but almost the entirety of the building was demolished, but we know there's lots of it below ground. It survives as archaeology.
0: So it could be excavated. It could be excavated one day. But what you've done now is you've marked the ground plan So you can see how it must have been. That's right. And there's still some bits, because I'm looking over there, and that's the refectory, isn't it, or the daughter? That's
3: the daughter, that's the monastic daughter, that's the monks' dormitory. The dormitory. We can go and have a look at that, if you like.
0: Yeah, I I would really like to have a look at that. There's also some monks' lavatories, aren't there?
3: There are, yes, down the hillside, just behind. We can look (laughs) at those. Uh, If we go into the Undercroft, you'll see one of the most impressive spaces in the abbey. We can walk through a sequence of rooms. Yeah, So although the abbey was founded by William the Conqueror, what happens is that in the 13th century, there's a major rebuilding of the abbey, which includes this this range. And so what we're looking at in this space is uh, a a, a room with a vaulted ceiling, stone columns supporting um, that that vault. We stand on the terrace with a good view across the, the monastic park, which is also part of the battlefield.
0: This is where Harold died, but he was on the kind of ridge, wasn't she? he? Was well,
3: that's up- right, yes, yeah. So the Upper the... ground, looking over. Yeah, so the, the, at the, you know, towards the end of the battle, the focus of the fighting was at, at the top of the hill. But what we're looking down over now are the lower slopes of the, of the hillside.
0: And so Harold actually had quite a good position up here. Yeah. But he didn't have any, as I recall, he didn't have archers, he didn't have arrows, but that's what the French kind of secret weapons yeah
3: I think I think the French had two 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 major advantages one they appear to have had far more bowmen than Harold and also they they had cavalry as well or used cavalry Um, but the English did really well I mean the the battle we're told lasted all day so they obviously adopted a really really strong position and if they've been able to hold the line then, you know, history would have been different. Yeah. Right from the middle of the 19th century, when the railway first arrived in battle, this place becomes a tourist destination. Because
0: people can get here. So
3: they can get here. Yeah. Um, the station's reasonably close. You can come to the Abbey site. It was open one or two days a week at that point, and people enjoyed that view. But yeah. at the back of their minds, just like us, they would remember that this is also a scene of... Terrible bloodshed. Carnage.
0: But it's gloriously beautiful, but sort of poignantly beautiful.
3: Yes, and and, and that's what we hope our visitors take away from them, a sense of the the beauty of the place, but also, you know, the historical significance of it and the fact that this is something, somewhere where something very important and something very terrible happened. So
0: where are we going now?
3: Well, now we're going to turn left (laughs) and we're going to make our way around to the northwest corner of the site. We're going to go to the visitor center. Oh, yippee. So we will show you (laughs) where we tell the story of the battle and also where the cafe is. So, step inside. This is the year 1066. This is the year 1066, (laughs) yes. So the idea is that this gives people context of the Battle of Hastings, understanding of the normal society in uh, 1066, and then brings them together. You can probably hear in the background, there's a a film just in there which gives you a narrative of the, the battle itself. And you can even... Handle the sort of objects that would have been used on the battlefield. Do you think that
0: I might try that?
3: I think you should. So, just to give you a sense of the the weight of a battle axe, for example.
0: Oh, this is a battle axe. That's what battle axe
3: means. Mm, Yes, this is it. Happily, you you haven't sharpened Uh, it. We haven't sharpened (laughs) it, no, no. But that's a weapon which would have been used, particularly by the English, we know. Um, But in order to protect you, you might want to wear something like this, oh,
0: this is
3: which is male.
0: Chain mail chain With mail, yeah. Horbit there
3: is iron rivets and oh,
0: that's so heavy though. Yeah. You know, yeah. by the time you've got dressed up on this, you're carrying a battle axe. You've got a sword to. I mean, this, a heavy shield potentially as well. Yeah. yeah. You've got to be really strong.
3: Got to be strong, um, and also you, you know you're going to want to be well hydrated during the day, aren't you? So you. Have to, one of the things we tend to forget about are the logistics of a battle at the Battle of Hastings and having the supplies around the army for them to. Where
0: you get the water and drink. Or yeah. Maybe yeah. they've
3: drunk something stronger. Well, they may want have drunk ale, yeah. but of course the horses would have been needing to have water during the day as well.
0: That's the kind of side of a battle, you know, the sort of supply side that you always forget. You just yeah. think of them going out and fighting, but they're there for a whole day, it's hot, and they're getting thirsty, they get to collapse.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Thank you so much for showing me around. This is absolutely I mean it's it's beautiful, but it's also it's vividly instructive. When you're having such fun seeing the sights of the Abbey and talking to Roy, it's easy to forget that there's even more to the town of battle than just 1066. And in fact, the museum I'm heading to now covers over 125 million years of history. It's the Battle Museum of Local History. It's just five minutes' walk from here, and I'm meeting Charlotte. who's one of the volunteers at the museum to tell us more. Thank you very much for meeting us, Charlotte. I can see already we're only just inside the front door, but it's got an amazing range of things. And I should just warn people that it is closed, usually during the winter months. Yes. So check on the website before you come. It said that it's got 125 million years of history here. What's the
4: oldest thing you've got? The oldest thing, I guess, is a a dinosaur's footprint. Um, (laughs) But I have to say there's quite a big gap of several million years before (laughs) our next exhibit. (laughs) The thing that I think
0: people know about battle is they know about the bonfire tradition. We're now going up millions of years (laughs) to, um, what, the 17th century. Yes. Have you got material relating to Guy Fawkes Day, bonfires, guys.
4: Yes, we have. In the corner over there, we've got the oldest Guy Fawkes effigy in the world. or So we believe. His head is made of carved pear wood, which was from a pear tree that was growing in the grounds of Battle Abbey. And his head was made in 1795. And he used to have a temporary body. He was decapitated every year. The head was saved, the body was burnt. But then in the 20th century he was made with a, a more permanent body and ever since then he lives in peaceful solitude for 364 days and then for the bonfire celebrations he gets trundled out on a cart, his, a special cart which is just over the road, locked up, and he goes up and down the high street in the bonfire procession surrounded by members of the local bonfire societies carrying flaming torches. But he never gets burnt. There are other guys made by local children which do get burnt.
0: What about the later history, though? Because you know we've gone back to the dinosaur. We've got
4: um, we've,
0: we've got bonfires and guys, and um, but
4: has got a pretty eventful twentieth century history, doesn't it? Yes, it has really, because of the well, both world wars, but particularly the Second World War. Uh, so. Battle is a southern town, six or seven miles from the coast. And, of course, that meant it was absolutely in the front line for a Nazi invasion. When the Second World War began, the inhabitants of Battle and the surrounding villages had to suddenly get used to the idea that if there was an invasion, which looked extremely likely, that this area would be the first port of call uh, for the invading Nazi armies. And so all sorts of preparations were made for civil defence, lots of what are called dragon's teeth, concrete tank traps. They're still uh, around battle. You can still see these concrete blocks which were put in all over the place to stop German tanks from getting too far. They're still here. They're still here, yes. Of course, the invasion didn't happen as such. But there was a lot of aerial bombardment, and I mean a lot. This was called Bomb Alley because it was the route, when the the German planes had been to bomb London, they would come back over this area and disgorge their unused bombs all over this area. There was one direct bombing of battle which could have been very nasty. It could indeed have been the most enormous firework display ever so some bombs fell and one took out a shop in the high street and killed the owner and his wife who were in it at the time and destroyed the building and then another bomb went right into the gateway of the abbey gatehouse really and this bomb lodged in the gateway the abbey at that time was occupied by canadian troops and what nobody knew The local population didn't know was that the Canadians had stored enormous amounts of gelignite in the Abbey Gatehouse. If that bomb had gone off, there would have been the most almighty explosion. Battle Abbey would no longer exist and most of battle would no longer exist. Wow. You know, that's, so that takes the history of Battle Abbey right up to the 20th century and it only
0: just survives. Yes, indeed. It would not have survived if that bomb had gone off. Gosh, that's yes. chilling. So,
4: no. so battle is, of course, most famously associated with, uh, with the Norman invasion. Um, but if there had been a, another invasion in uh, 1940, then Battle would again have been at the centre of that. Wow. We've, we've seen the Abbey, we've now seen the, uh, this lovely museum, but suppose I've
0: come with two young kids on a family day out, what else is there to do around here?
4: them. If you've got uh, slightly older kids shall we say you could go on a really good country walk and uh, one very nice thing about battle is that the station the railway station is, is pretty it's not exactly central but it's a very short walk from the station into the town. At Battle, you can still very much see the medieval layout of the town, the long high street with the, and the little long, thin small holdings going off it like this, with the, the, the shop fronts and then behind them very, very ancient houses and then long, thin strips of what's now garden. There are some signposted walks, 1066 walks and so on, but you can also just wander. Charlotte? That's a really good thing to know. And uh, I'd like to thank
0: you so much for, for taking the trouble to, to show us. This is, this is great. Battle's a tremendous place. So there we have it, a huge range of history from ancient to modern. And I still think I've only barely scratched the surface, but I'm afraid that's me really done for today. So it's back down the hill to Battle's beautiful Southeastern Station. And that brings us to the end of my jaunt. Highlighting some of Kent and East Sussex's incredible history. And for that matter, the end of this episode of Hop On Board. If you like what you've heard, spread the word. Give us a like and subscribe. And if you're eager to keep exploring, why not check out the rest of the series and discover more of what Kent and East Sussex has to offer just by jumping on a southeastern train. But for now, it's time for me to disembark.